I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. I have the honor of proclaiming good news to you all this morning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our gospel passage, Luke 21, starts off with the setting in the temple. It says, When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. It's almost as if Jesus hears people praising the building, the structure that they're inside of, and he says, you like this? This is all going away. This is the good news that we're proclaiming this morning. <laughs> Church, today we proclaim the good news that death is not the victor. Christ the liberator is drawing us beyond denial and despair. Through his presence, we are equipped to resist the powers of death all around us, knowing that the creator is bringing justice to earth for all. It ain't over yet. It seems that we are frequently confronted with death and all of its friends, sometimes on a weekly or daily or even an hourly basis. There's a war in Ukraine. We just had an election week, which is always a lot of fun. The the ongoing and upcoming climate crisis, for-profit prisons, for-profit health care, real estate markets, corrupt banks, Cryptocurrency, gentrification, white supremacy. We are steeped in death, and our awareness of it as a church has been growing more and more over the last few years. Two years ago, we did a sermon series through Lent on racism and repentance, where we were confronted with where we've been complicit in or even benefited from white supremacy. Last year for Lent, we did a sermon series on mammon, where we learned about how the way that our money and finances functions is corrupt in many ways, and there's really no clean way to extricate ourselves completely from it. We are confronted with the reality that unjust systems, that evil, ongoing evil, that vehicles of death are all around us. The more that we learn, the more complex and overwhelming it can become. One is forced to ask the question, Is this it? Is this where we're headed? I don't know if any of you can relate, but on election night, each election night really, I sit there watching the TV as the results start to come in, and there's this strange, sinking, disorienting feeling. All of the campaigns are complete. All of the votes have been cast, and now there's nothing you can do. You just sit, and it seems slower and slower now we're finding out about these things. I don't know if it's always been like this, but it's like you stay up until midnight on Tuesdays now, and they're like, yeah, we won't know this for a couple of days, maybe even weeks, and you're like, oh, good. This is great. I love being in this space. (laughs) Elections present a concrete environment, a microcosm of where we frequently are confronted with this feeling. This sinking feeling of all that can be done has been done, and now I guess we'll just see what is, what remains, what comes next. Where else do you find yourself in touch with that sinking feeling? Where do you feel paralyzed today? 
maybe by a personal loss. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the size and the ever-presence of injustice, injustice that you passionately want to fight against but feel inept in how to do so. We are surrounded by death. We're confronted by it. Avoidance is not an option. But to be a Christian is, at its core, to be an enemy of death. Acceptance is not an option. We cannot avoid its reality. We cannot accept it as normal or natural. We make no peace with oppression, and we make no peace with death. So how is it that we are called to faithfulness? What does it look like to look death in the face and not despair? Continue to move forward. How can we go through and learn about the ways that we are wrapped up in white supremacy or mammon without being totally overwhelmed? How can we continue to step forward in faithfulness? In our gospel passage, Jesus is foretelling not just what lies ahead for his followers, but also for himself. The temple that they're, they're all admiring was actually built by Herod the Great in 20 to 19 BC. And it was so large and so lavish that pilgrims visiting the city and the wider Jewish diaspora could not help but reflect on its grandness and be impressed. It was the socio-religious political center of Jewish life. So even as an oppressed people or an occupied people, it was held up as, at least we've got this. Maybe it's not so bad because there's this thing that we can rest on, we can reflect on, we can go to for worship. And Jesus, hearing how impressed people are with it, begins deconstructing it in their midst. Because this thing that their hope is wrapped up in is actually not large enough. It's not a big enough hope. And so he starts to pull it apart. So there's the text of the passage, this gospel passage, but there's also the context, which we can't, we can't read it, we can't experience the good news without at least reflecting on the fact that when Luke was written, it was actually written after much of the New Testament. So at the time of Luke's writing... Many believe that the temple has actually already been destroyed. So what we have is the writer of Luke providing a theological framework for something that's already been lost, a devastating loss probably to many, this one thing that their hopes rested in, in the midst of being an oppressed people, has been destroyed and taken away. And theologically, there's no frame for making sense of it. But the writer of Luke is writing Jesus into the midst of that structure that's getting ready to be taken away. And Jesus is already pulling apart the hope that is built into its walls, each brick of hope, the foundation of this hope that is not big enough for this messianic justice that's coming in the eschaton. At the end of times, when the kingdom of God has fully come, the good news is going to be much bigger than a really grand temple. Jesus is also warning his audience to not be led astray by any messianic leaders that raise up and say, I'm the person, come follow me. We're going to start a revolution and overthrow Rome. This is also something that was happening right at that time. Whenever there was this uprising and the temple ended up being destroyed, 
this is exactly what happened. So Jesus isn't just foretelling the future. He's not just fortune telling and saying, okay, this is how you're going to know when the end times are coming. This is the order of operations, right? Like write this in your book about when Jesus will come back and the rapture will happen. No, instead, this is written to make sense of loss. The question had to be asked, if the Messiah had come and then everything was stripped away, there was an uprising that failed, what was there to hope in to begin with? The uprising failed, the temple is taken away, all is lost. So surely this is the end. Surely this is it. But Jesus is emphatically stating that the fall of Jerusalem does not immediately precede the end of time. Instead of joining these forces, Jesus is urging his followers to watch, to see what's happening, and to exercise their faith in such a way that they have insight into what God is doing. And so to look upon this death and this destruction, this loss, this apparent loss of hope, but not allow hope to be taken from their hands. Because these events that happened, the destruction of the temple, the failure of the political uprising, were not surprises to God. It is not the end. Jesus' warning has two pillars. Those who genuinely come in his name will not come making extravagant claims about themselves. Instead, There'll be those who follow the way of Jesus, welcoming children and casting out demons. They will proclaim the message of repentance and forgiveness. They will not be proclaiming a message about the timing of the eschaton. The other pillar is that terror is an inappropriate response. Because however chaotic, however unruly they might seem, the phenomena he's describing are actually embraced within the divine purpose. And so imagine, friends, these moments of awareness that we have now, these insights into death and destruction and how they're at work in our own lives. We're being invited to reckon with the reality that death is active in our midst. Not just physical death, but also in our institutions. There is hate and violence baked into how we operate as a people. But the invitation to reckon with white supremacy, to reckon with mammon, to reckon with death and sin, is not an invitation into despair. It's an invitation to be present to reality as Christ is present to us, to be present to it, to look it in the face without despairing, because death is not the victor, church. Christ the liberator is drawing us beyond denial and despair through his presence We are equipped to resist the powers of death all around us with a growing confidence that the Creator is bringing justice to earth for all. This is not the end. This is not it. Our Old Testament passage in Malachi is short and sweet. It's uh, verses 1 and 2a. It's not even a full two verses, actually. Impressive. It says, The day is coming, burning like an oven. All the arrogant ones and those doing evil will become like straw. They'll be burned out all the way at the root. But the Son of Righteousness will rise on those revering the Lord's name. Healing will be in its wings. This is the story that we've been invited into. The Creator God has not abandoned creation, but the Creator is making all things new. 
There is a constant refusal to give up on creation. And it's not all up to us to figure this all out at once. God is at work and has been at work. The Creator is pursuing you, is pursuing all of creation. The psalm tells us to shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Be happy, rejoice out loud, sing your praises. Not just people. It says, let the sea and everything in it roar. Let the world and its inhabitants too. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains rejoice out loud. Because the Creator is coming to establish justice for all. The Creator will establish justice in the world rightly. Establish justice among all people fairly. There is this temptation, I find, it within myself to read these passages and not know what to make of them, honestly. To rejoice in the face of death. Sounds like this weird reverse engineering. Like It's like I've got reverse psychology going on. I'm trying to gaslight myself into being joyous in the midst of sadness. I'll just be happy. God is good all the time. Death isn't swirling about. I haven't suffered any losses. I'm not overwhelmed by my own complicitness in evil. But it's not an invitation to manipulate yourself. It's an invitation to look reality in the eye. But this is the whole, this is the totality of the story of being a Christian. That God is making all things new. So rejoicing is not a defense. It's not self-manipulation, but it's a protest against despair. It's a protest against death. Joy in our church is a neglected necessity. We talked about in Sunday school this morning how this is actually something that we don't have great muscle memory for as a white church. Because right now it's really hard to like look at the landscape and be joyous. Sorry about that. But we really have had it so good for so long that we don't know how to make sense of any kind of loss no matter how small it is. But there's a long story tradition of the black church, even in the midst of slavery and death and abuse, viciousness that we can't even imagine. It's hard to fathom it. Still coming and rejoicing, singing praises to God, and it being the hope of redemption and reconciliation of all things that sustain them in the midst of this. Not a denial of death, but a refusal to succumb to it. Our passage in 2 Thessalonians talks about keeping away from those living in idleness. Those who are unwilling to work should not eat. This is such an uh, anti-Marxist message. Isn't it so easy to read it like that? I mean, gosh, it makes sense to me. If you don't work, you don't get food. I guess that was what they were writing about. But in light of how this lectionary is pieced together... It feels as if there is this encouragement not to succumb to despair, not to give up, to stop working. This is not simply a message about how to practically go through life not being a lazy person. I mean, I would encourage you to work. It's good to have a job. We still do need money to live. But this is a call to faithfulness in the face of moments when we don't know how to respond, when we don't know how to keep going. Thessalonians says, work quietly and put food on your table. Brothers and sisters, don't get discouraged in doing what is right. That is the good news 
that the Holy Spirit has for us today, each of you, friends, where you are tempted to despair or deny the existence of death, do not grow tired in doing what is right. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to show up, to faithfully come and say yes every day to being present to reality. And you will not be overcome because the Creator God is making all things new. God is present with you. You are not alone. Death is not the victor. Christ the liberator is drawing us beyond denial or despair. Through his presence, we are equipped to resist the powers of death all around us, knowing in confidence that the creator is bringing justice to earth for everyone, for all of creation. It is not over yet, friends. Our church is called to be a life-giving protest movement. We are called to embrace and embody joy even when we don't know how we can. How can we do that? We come together each Sunday to feast on the body and blood of Jesus, to receive the sustenance that we need. We desperately need the sustenance to go on, to move forward together as a people that can bear one another's burdens, as a people that can embody the presence of Christ in a world that can be overwhelming and confusing, full of doubt and despair. God is feeding us the food that we need to go from here being his body and blood out in the world. There's a theologian, William Stringfellow, who says that the way that we, the church, are called to resist the powers of death is in the face of death, live humanly. In the middle of chaos, celebrate the word, capital W. And amidst Babel, speak truth. These can seem overly simple, but this is the only choice we have. As someone that's baked into a supremacy culture, it's easy for me to interpret faithfulness as meaning that I'm going to win. But that is not what is being said in this gospel passage. Jesus says, persecution is an opportunity to bear witness to the faith. They'll give you an opportunity to testify, so don't prepare a defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. It's so hard for me not to read that as a courtroom drama. You don't have to do your homework, but the Holy Spirit will help you to have such a compelling argument that everybody around you will all of a sudden agree with you. You will win every argument. This is the good news, church. No, this is not the good news. Jesus goes on to say, some of you will be put to death but not a hair on your head will perish. So the good news is not that we are going to start winning every argument. It's that we can carry this good news, this truth that God is restoring all of creation and reconciling it to himself without despairing. We can carry that with us. It's impossible for me not to read this proclamation from Christ in the temple and think about him on the cross and death not having the last word. It's impossible to read this and not think about in Acts, Stephen, testifying, bearing witness to the Lordship of Christ and being put to death still. It's a redefinition for us of what victory looks like as the church. Not to make peace with death and say, okay, so what if we have some losses? No, it's a reimagining. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. There is more, there is more coming. God is faithful. God is showing up. It's so hard to take all that we've learned and take it out into our lives as we go from here, as we're sent out each Sunday and know how to show up faithfully. 
Maybe you're like me, and maybe the industry that you work in, my day job is that I'm a realtor, maybe the industry you work in is steeped with injustice. It can be so hard. The more reductive a conversation around these things, the more confusing it can be, obviously, if you get into the weeds. So we talk about things like gentrification and justice and equity, but the more that I work in that field, the more convinced I am that I can't change this. I can't fix all this by myself. And so the question becomes, do I just exit out of this industry completely and hand it over to the people that are not trying to live justly or work towards equity or pursue faithfulness? Or is there some perfect strategy that I can implement that is going to fix this and solve this? Neither of those things is true. Because you don't have to save the world today. God is the one reconciling the world to himself. As we go out from here, we are called and empowered to say yes to faithfully be present to the life that we have before us. That means the way that we relate to one another as brothers and sisters, the way that we relate to our family members, our children, our parents, to our co-workers, the way that we relate to our jobs. It's all about showing up and saying yes to faithfulness, even when it's overwhelming. We are called in the Psalms to sing a song of praise. We may not feel it right now in our bodies, but we're not tricking ourselves into being hopeful. We are putting our hope in Christ. When we come to the table of our Lord to receive his body and blood, we are saying yes to the promise that God is setting all things right. We can respond to this today by coming to the table. And when you come forward, hold all of your doubts, your disappointments, your despair. Hold it all in your heart and bring them to the Lord. Receive in exchange for them the sustenance that you need to go out from here and live faithfully in the minutiae of your everyday life. Receive the presence of Christ right where you're at so that you can be present, not denying death's existence or denying the heartache that you're surrounded by or the confusingness of these systems that we're learning to navigate and resist, but embracing it, saying, yes, this is real, but this is not the end. Death will not be the victor. Christ the liberator is drawing us beyond denial and despair, church. Through his presence, we are equipped to resist the powers of death all around us, knowing that the creator is bringing justice to earth for everyone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.